Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor here at Modern Retail, and I'm joined uh, with Jonathan Wall, the CEO and co-founder of Abio, which makes uh, cookware. Um, Jonathan, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. So I would love to just hear what is the the history? How did Abio begin? Because I was doing some research about you and you you have more of an e-commerce background than say a culinary background. So how did you sort of end up getting into the, the culinary space? It's really a combination of both of those passions. Um, even before e-com, even before any other type of career, my lifelong passion is food and home cooking. And that really started at an early age growing up with my brother and our family in Seattle. Uh, there was it was always family dinner. It was always time in the kitchen helping my mom cook. And that left an imprint on me really early on. And then my brother, Eric, and I lived together for a period after college, too. And we are kind of the, the we were the ones that are always hosting people, having people over at dinner parties, cooking for ourselves, cooking for significant others. And that was the moment where uh, this concept really crystallized. And we realized that the tools that we were using were terrible. And what we wanted was not accessible from a price point perspective. And so we went on essentially a two-year design and development journey to figure out what to make and whether it was possible to offer pro-level cookware to uh, an aspiring or competent home cook at a, at a good price. And it turns out it is? Turns out it is, and that's Avio Kitchen. <laughs> so t- talk to me about how did you get into the, the sourcing? I'm always fascinated when when I, I you know, founders tell me, you know, I, I wanted to have this pro-level equipment at a, at a reasonable price, yeah. and so I did research for many years. Where, where do you find that stainless steel or that all of that, and how did you go about researching that? Totally. Well, um, the first thing I tried to do was backtrack from existing uh, man- existing brands and companies to figure out where they were sourcing from. Uh, that was a little bit challenging. So then what I did is I started going to trade shows um, and uh, I talked to hundreds of vendors and to understand what their capabilities were, uh, to understand other brands that they were manufacturing for. And from there, I whittled down the list to maybe five or six potential candidates uh, and went through concurrent design processes with each of them to try and get as close to our spec, what we wanted um, and what we had designed. And then finally, you know, picked our manufacturer and placed our first production order. And here we are. How much of the culinary world would you say shares manufacturers? Like, are there just a few different sources to which different brands go to? How how does that work? It's something that I've always been fascinated with, just given there are you know many different brands out there and some look similar to others and there's just different price points around. Yeah, it's it's not as consolidated as you would think. It's it's not like some other industries where there's really one manufacturer that's making everything. Uh, certainly, there are some giants in the space, um, but and we were fortunate enough through one of our advisor relationships to be able to work with a manufacturer that normally wouldn't even consider us because we were <laughs> you know brand new, unproven, upstart. Um, but that relationship has allowed us to offer the best quality cookware that you can buy for a home cook and keep it at a price point that isn't astronomical, that's accessible. So that that was a really, really important critical moment for us in the business was securing that relationship. 
Absolutely. So talk to me about, so what, what are the price points? What, what, what were your targets when you were first designing the brand and sort of how has that translated into the, the product offerings you have today? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, my brother and I being relatively competent home cooks, we look out at the industry and we looked at, at high-end brands like Allclad and Moviel as being a bit of a gold star as to what we would want in our home kitchens. But, um, you know, a five-piece a five set of Allclad D3 or D5 might run somewhere between $550 and $700, even when there's sales, which there are frequently through the big box retailers. And so we, we thought about how could we produce a, a product that was superior to those, uh, introducing some of our own elements to it, and also offer it at a substantially lower price point. And so that was kind of the target from a product development standpoint. Then from a brand and marketing side, what we quickly realized talking to uh, friends and family and even chefs is that most aspiring home cooks have no idea what to buy, where to get it, how much to pay. So we don't even talk about all clad as being this thing because most uh, of our customers don't even know what it is. It's not a it's not a uh, it's not a comparison point. Interesting. All right. So that that leads perfectly to my next question, which is what was the rollout play? So you correct me if I'm wrong, but did you guys go to January 2018 is when you guys started? Is that correct? We, we the the business technically formed back in 2017, but we didn't launch until September 2019. 2019. Okay, got it. Um, so, yeah. so you launched pretty much a year ago to the day. What yep. was the the uh, the plan in terms of how you were rolling it out, and especially with that education point? And I, I imagine mm -hmm. just with my own personal how I go about things, I imagine it's a lot of like sort of figuring out optimization for like search engine stuff, like, you know, that kind of thing, because people are searching for best pan or searching for research about pan. So how did you sort of formulate that rollout so that you would be able to be optimized for, for th this kind of campaign? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that does touch quite a bit on our marketing strategy. Um, I was uh, a close a participant and observer of the rise of Instagram, Facebook as being the primary marketing channel for new CPG brands. Mm -hmm. uh, first, seeing it be extremely lucrative and then seeing it become prohibitively expensive for a brand that isn't established in the space and doesn't necessarily have the budget to be able to compete. Uh, so we knew that that was never going to be our primary strategy. Uh, we also knew that the, to your point, a lot of the decisions that are made about cookware, particularly by individuals who are not super familiar with the face, excuse me, with the space, start with a search, which is, what is the best cookware for a home cook? And so for us, it was really important to make sure that we got our, our industry-leading product in the hands of a combination of bloggers, professional chefs, um, uh, home cooks, uh, and gave them an opportunity to try it and review it and provide their opinion. So now I think those results really speak for themselves when you search for Avio and related terms. 
Interesting. So how did you formulate that list? Did you work with an agency to sort of create this plan for launch? Or how was what was the general way? Was it just sort of these are the top chefs and influencers and people that we should be talking to? Or was it just sort of a, an ad hoc, we'll figure it out as we go along? It was a bit of uh, a qualitative and quantitative. Um, the, the, the qualitative side of it was does this individual, in if we're talking about pro chefs and influencers, overlap with our brand? And our brand is very much one of simplicity. Our message is simple home cooking because home cooking doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be hard. It doesn't need to be overwhelming. It's something absolutely everyone can do and enjoy doing it. So we wanted to make sure that we were working with people who uh, also believed in that message um, we're not looking for, for Michelin-starred chefs using microgreens on perfectly plated dishes. We, we love eating that type of food. Uh, I, I love going out to amazing restaurants, and I respect that passion, and I respect that craft, but that's not us, and that's not our customer. So it was, is there brand adjacency? And then the, the quantitative piece of it was, uh, it just was the reach. You know, are these, do these individuals have some strong hold on a community of people who could potentially be interested in Avio. Who would you say was the, uh, I don't know if the biggest get is the right word, but like what, you know, were, were there any real reaches that those, that were people that ended up trying it and talking about it? We have a number of individuals who are fans of Avio. Um, uh, I, I think that I don't want to call anyone out specifically who, uh, you know, who may or may not be, um, uh, more or less, how do I, how do I phrase this? More or less uh, influential to an aspiring home cook. The, the real issue is that someone who doesn't follow the food space extremely closely like we do um, is not necessarily going to be swayed by the biggest name chef. They may be more swayed by the blogger that they read who has 25,000 you know, active visitors a month. That might be their source for information. So we ranged across the entire spectrum in terms of having those small, influential, but, but um, very, very, very important bloggers. And then also having you know, a, a master chef champion and other big names in the space behind the Obvio product. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned how you were focusing more on that kind of campaign and less on the, you know, with customer acquisition rises costing, you know, Facebook is becoming more expensive and it's di more difficult to figure out did, did, yeah. how to how to execute it. Can you do, do how, are you on Instagram or how do you approach Instagram with sort of that in the background? Yeah, we've we've definitely started to uh, dabble in that channel a bit. I know that that's an important channel. It will be an important channel for our growth. Um, it's just not been our primary consideration to date, and it still is not our primary consideration. Uh, we believe strongly, again, in helping people become more confident in their home kitchen. And um, I don't think that that's the best channel for cooking inspiration and for learning how to cook. Uh, in fact, uh, not to be too, too negative about it, <laughs> I, I think that it often has the opposite effect on aspiring home cooks. People spend a lot of time looking at highly stylized, heavily produced images uh, on platforms like Instagram, and it has the opposite effect. It makes them feel intimidated and it makes them feel like they can't actually do something similar at home. 
um, and dissuades them from trying. And that's not what we want at all. We want people to feel like anything they see, they could do too. That's so true. I mean, that's really interesting. I'm I'm on Instagram. I would say my entire feed on Instagram when I go to suggestions or whatever it is like trending, it's all food yeah. stuff. But I feel like it's yeah. gotten to the level of like Dada, where it's it's either like <laughs> so, like some really over stylized kind of feed of something that I would never make, or it's some weird like trying to be like a tasty video from 2016 that just doesn't quite work. And it seems like it's this whole new, I don't know, like economics of food videos that doesn't make sense and are really inaccessible now, specifically on Instagram. Now now with TikTok too, there's the yeah. whole rise of food hacks that are just fake. Exactly, yeah. I love <laughs> now, that, where you're like, stick this in the ground and it'll grow, and it, it doesn't grow. Yeah, like, no, <laughs> no, it won't grow. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> um, all right, so that's really interesting. I mean, what would you, can you talk to me a little bit about how the last year's growth has been specifically, you know, given that you had this very specific plan for launch? Yeah, well, we're, we're self-funded entirely. And, uh, and so for us, it was always, the plan was always responsible, profitable, methodical growth. And um, what changed that to a degree, of course, was COVID, which mm -hmm. I don't think can escape any conversation that you have with any e-com or DTC nope. company these days. It's uh, unfortunate. So, you know, we were, we were seeing consistent growth and we were really excited with our progress. And then in March, April, May, and June, um, we boarded a little bit of a rocket ship. Wow. Was it like double, like what was sort of the change in acceleration beginning in March? And what did you do to respond to that? Like, did you double down on digital marketing? Did you sell out sort of what were the dynamics? Uh, we, well, yeah, from a traffic perspective, we doubled month over month for about three months in a row, wow. which was phenomenal. Um, we were not prepared, frankly, from an inventory perspective to meet that demand. I think that's probably true of a lot of uh, ancillary companies in the space, mm -hmm. um, but we are catching up. And we're really excited to, again, to have a great manufacturing relationship that's going to allow us to meet all of that demand. Interesting. Did your manufacturer have any supply chain hiccups? I'm, I know that there was a lot of backups just in general, even if there were, wasn't a huge spike in demand. Did you experience anything along those lines? Very moderate. Uh, we, we, we got a bit lucky in that we had enough inventory leading up to that period to get us through part of the period. And so when there were shutdowns across the country and across the world from a manufacturing perspective, that didn't directly affect us. Um, we had also done some pretty decent planning, uh, again, not necessarily factoring in COVID, but we had done some planning and, and uh, that has put us in a position in order to be definitely in a good place for uh, Q3 and the holidays. Absolutely. So w walk me through when this demand spike happened, what levers did you change on the marketing front? Did you just take your foot off the gas? Did you, did you, were you keeping tabs on, I'm sure I've been talking with a lot of companies and a lot of them yeah. said that like the entire like SEO landscape changed overnight because people couldn't get anything. And so th they were trying to dominate that. Did you, did you respond that way or sort of how did you, how did you change the marketing schema? You know, our strategy actually didn't change very much at all because we were never, trying to compete in uh, many of the channels that became more competitive. Uh, and again, it, Instagram, Facebook not being our primary strategy. Where it really helped us 
was with partnerships and outreach. Uh, because, again, as a result of people being home and doing a lot more home cooking, it became a lot easier to approach potential marketplaces and partners and say, like, we have an industry-leading set of cookware for the home cook. This would work really, really well in your ecosystem, especially right now. Do you want to work together? Mm -hmm. Did you, I I feel like a lot of companies specifically that had a a sort of bent on living at home and, and lifestyle upped their, their content. So were you, were you making, like, did you do anything like that? Or did you just do that through these collaborations and partnerships and influencers? A bit of both. Um, we, our content again, has always been focused on simple, accessible, fun home cooking. And we play, I mean, we just ratcheted that up or have ratcheted that up during this period. Uh, we did a, a we've done a great series with a chef out of Seattle by the name of Joel Gamron, who we really like, uh, and it's on our website now. It's called Seconds, and the idea is what are some simple meals you can make in under fifteen minutes with the ingredients that you commonly will already have in your refrigerator or in your pantry, which is very appropriate for uh, for COVID. And then we have uh, a couple of other series that are in development now that are along those same lines. Absolutely. Can you talk to me a little about the the competitive landscape? I feel like in the last year and a half, there's been an influx of brands that are going for cookware in one way or another, and they all have they all have specific different bends, but a lot of them focus on yeah. sort of sort of like similar to you, where it's you know we're we're going to give you an affordable price for top quality devices. So how how it seems like it's very different than say four or five years ago when like all people thought about was all clad or La Crusade. Now there are a bunch of new startups. So how as another startup, how have you approached that? What is what are your thoughts yeah. on on the other people there? So I, I two sides of the same coin. On one hand, I'm very um, encouraged by the number of new entrants in this space because it reaffirms that there is a giant market. I mean, I always knew that kitchenware cookware in the United States is a multi-billion dollar market, but now seeing others recognize the same opportunity reaffirms that, yes, we were, we're, we're on the right track. Um, in terms of competing, I believe at the end of the day, the best products are going to win out. Uh, we're we're kind of still in what I'll call the the Shopify effect, which is good and bad. Uh, on one hand, the barrier to entry to launching a direct to consumer business is lower than ever from a technical perspective, and so it becomes very very easy for uh, brands with not very well considered thought out products or inferior products to launch and try and establish some sort of market presence. I think that has happened in our space as it's happened in many others. And I think that the quality of the Abio cookware and the product itself is going to be the primary determinant of our success in the long run. So walk me through sort of the next year then, because I like the idea of the the Shopify effect. I've talked to a a bunch of founders who are in the throes of that too. And it seems like you're sort of in this new, maybe potentially liminal space, like trying to go beyond startup into more of a growth mode, trying to get into more hands. How are you approaching that with with this sort of, you know, in the background, the fact that you did receive this huge propulsion, I guess? Yeah. Uh, Well, so the first is continuing to spread the word about our core set of cookware. 
through the marketing strategies that we spoke about a little bit earlier. Uh, but the other is that, uh, without going into to specifics, the kitchen is a is a vast is a vast opportunity for quality simple products. Uh, we started with cookware specifically because we think we we know that that is the most essential thing that you need to prepare a great meal at home. If you don't have great cookware, then you know that you you're uh, you haven't started yet. Um, but there's a lot of other products that people touch and use and need on a daily basis that are closely related to that, uh, that present a really big opportunity for us to expand in the space. All right. Well, like what, what are they? <laughs> good, good question. How about I send you some when they get, when they're released? <laughs> All right. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> uh, so right now you're direct only. Is that true? That, that you're, you're pretty much like you can only buy it on your website. Is that correct? Uh, we also have marketplace partners. Which marketplace partners do you use? Uh, we are currently on Verishop uh, and we also have a partnership with Stack Commerce as well. Interesting. How did you decide which marketplace partnerships you wanted to do specifically because I noticed that you're not on Amazon and you know, there are a lot of companies in your place that choose that and I totally get that. So do you think that there will like a, what made you choose one over the other? And do you think there will ever be a tipping point where you're like, well, you know, we're going to go on Amazon now because of, of X. Uh, Amazon is potentially in our future. I'm not necessarily as opposed to it as a channel as maybe some other founders are. I think mm-hmm. that especially for home goods and especially for a channel like, or excuse me, a, a product category like cookware, that is logically where literally millions of people start their search. And so uh, it could be a lucrative channel for us. Um, in terms of the other marketplaces, I was looking for I was looking for reach from both uh, uh, the perspective of who are these other marketplaces talking to from a customer perspective, and then also who are the other brands that they represent. Because I would like I always want to position Avio with uh, you know other quality products and elevated brands in the space. How have these marketplaces performed? Like, uh, are, are, were there any surprises? Have they been, are, are they taking more than the direct sales in terms of the general buy? Yeah, um, I would say in aggregate, all of our marketplaces are about equivalent to our direct sales. Um, they have been, that's been really important relationships with us, especially for a small upstart brand with limited, uh, limited resources from a, an acquisition perspective. Those are those are important. Is there any one marketplace that like outperformed more than the other, or have they all just sort of acted as expected? They've all performed well in their own way. <laughs> all right. And are, what are you planning on doing? I mean, you said that Amazon's not off the table, and that makes sense. In the in the coming year, are you looking into more marketplaces, or sort of how are you approaching the general mix? Would you ever go into a store or do wholesale or anything like that? Uh, we would consider those as well. For sure. Um, I think the next year for us is the emphasis is going to be on subsequent. Well, I know the emphasis is going to be on subsequent product development, like we were talking about a bit earlier, and also establishing a more of our own direct acquisition. Interesting. And so can you talk to me a little bit about you, you know, coming into the holidays? I imagine that's going to be a, a big, a very big season for you. Do you as a direct brand 
do discounts? How how are you, especially as there are, you know, there are a bunch of others on the marketplace. Is there, yeah. are there specific ways that you differentiate either in price or in how you're marketing or is just how are you approaching, how are you approaching that? Yeah. So, um, we are, we're not a very promotional, we're not a promotional discount brand. Um, I imagine there may be some promotion, uh, around the holidays as most brands do. I think you can probably think of a specific weekend in the year where yeah. <laughs> most, most people pull the trigger on that. Um, but that is, that's very much not our strategy. The price point of the product for the set, for example, at $287 is already an amazing value for the end customer. And we are, are positioned ourselves from a margin perspective where we could offer the best possible value, but we did not under any circumstances position ourselves to become a brand that is offering a 15 or 20 or 25% off sale every other week as the primary means of acquisition. That's just not us. Absolutely. Um, so then what do we talk about? How do we differentiate ourselves? And it, again, it all goes back to the quality of the product. Um, the two things that I would comment on without getting too nerdy into the details of cookware are the underlying construction of the pans and the quality and the construction of the nonstick coating. Both of those things are the primary determinants in how good your cookware is. The market in the United States, uh, particularly over the last 10 years or so, has been absolutely flooded with uh, cheap stamped aluminum pans, often with what's what's marketed as a ceramic coating and ceramic is has been again marketed as being a healthier alternative uh, but due to the nature of its construction it just doesn't last it is a disposable product it's a product that you use for a few months and then it loses its nonstick properties and you throw it away and you start over um, avio is not that at all uh, we use a completely different technology, and as a result, our pans last on average 10 times longer than what you would expect from something that you buy uh, at a big box retailer or even some of the other DTC brands on the market. So how do you educate the consumer on that? Because I imagine that there are so many pans and they're all marketed in a specific way. Is it just hoping that you know these influencer and blog partners say it's good quality? Is there a way that you're able to sort of explain like, this is made differently than the other ones. Do you do you denigrate ceramic or do you say like that's that's crap? We're not going to use that. We don't use that. We keep it more positive. <laughs> we keep it more about how how Obvio is great and why Obvio is great. And it's a combination of the things that you said. It's education on the website about why the construction of the Obvio product is is the most superior construction for a home cook. And it's also getting the product into the hands of people who uh, can validate it for us, press, influencers, chefs, et cetera. Absolutely. You know, I think that's all the time we have uh, today on the podcast. This has been really interesting, Jonathan. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thanks, Kale. I have one final question for you. If oh, you absolutely. Lie. Yeah. What do you What do you like to cook at home? I, I cook a lot at home. So uh, like you name it and I've cooked it at home. I, right now I'm okay. into, I have, I have a, I have a uh, not stainless steel, what is it? Cast iron wok. And I've been cooking a lot with that these days. Awesome. What's your go-to dish in the wok? Uh, I usually do a stir fry of some kind, though I also started doing Night Kitchen's Pad Thai recipe, which is the easiest and best weeknight recipe I've ever found. That's super awesome. And do you feel like 
that meal is better than uh, your average takeout that you'd get from someplace down the street. So what's amazing about this one recipe is that it tastes like takeout, and that's why I like it. Okay. <laughs> it's like I've okay. never been able to repl- replicate pad thai at my home, and I did, and it's really good. So it's a good recipe. Well, I, I bet you're saving a lot of money and eating a lot healthier by doing that at home. And yeah. uh, by doing that, you are pushing our mission of home cooking. And thank you. I'm glad to hear that. All right, Jonathan, this has been wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. Our producer is Pierre Bienname, who also produced our theme music. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. <laughs>